0: The angel went to mary and said you will give birth to a son and you are to call him jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign forever his kingdom will never end to be here. Um, I am aforementioned Matthew. Lovely to meet you. Haven't done this for a while. Haven't done the talking thing for a while. So, um, but I'm back, despite popular demand, <laughs> to kick off our new series, which is, as Emily so elegantly got across to us, uh, Make Jesus King. And in Make Jesus King, we're going to be looking at Luke's biography of Jesus' life and, and the emphasis that he puts on Jesus being king. Uh, Now, you might know this if you've been around church. There's four Gospels, four kind of stories of Jesus' life uh, in the New Testament. And each of them kind of introduced Jesus at the very beginning of their books uh, slightly differently. So in Mark's Gospel, he's introduced as the Messiah. In Matthew, as the Savior. In John, it's the Word of God. Uh, And in Luke, he's introduced uh, first as King. Uh, Now, it could be that you hear that and you go, whoa, slow down, speed racer. Uh, you can talk about making Jesus king in my life, but reality is I don't know if I believe in God, uh, let alone want to make Jesus king of my life, and frankly that sounds a bit weird, um, and it could be that you know that's not even just a surface level thing for you, maybe um, you have real doubts about faith. Uh, maybe you're brand new into this. This is your first or second time coming to church ever. You're still not sure what you think. You kind of, you know, the music's quite nice, even if the hands in the air thing's a bit weird. Uh, but you kind of, you, you're on your way, um, but you've still got some questions. Or it could be um, that maybe you've been around church for flippin' ages, you were brought up in church, you know all the right things to do and say, and you've believed it and you've been out there on the front lines evangelizing and bringing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the people of Bristol. Um, but now, following on from, I don't know, two years of slight craziness and awfulness, you've got a few questions that are just stuck in the brain, but aren't really going away. Uh, questions that mean that the faith that you thought fitted together really nicely before, actually you've realized it doesn't. There's a lot of square pegs and round holes. And that actually because of that, you're starting to pull your faith apart and deconstruct it. And one of the things that I love about God is that he's not afraid of my doubt. He's not afraid of yours either. And that God doesn't get angry with me when I have questions that I'm a bit annoyed with him about. He doesn't get frustrated, he doesn't go, oh man, if Matthew Levy-Miles just had a little bit more faith, you wouldn't believe the things I'd have done to stop wars right now. Uh, it, but, you know, this guy, come on, he's really holding me back in all my omnipotence. He's <laughs> not like that. He just loves me, and he's, he's pretty pleased with me as I am. Uh, and actually, one of the people in the Bible that I think is a great example of how you work through doubts is John the Baptist. And I'll be honest, the Bible's full of these people. Uh, people who aren't totally sure what they're doing, to be honest, have a lot of big questions. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the person on it said, Do you know what? The, one of the funny things about doubt as a Christian is that pretty much all of the arguments against God are already in the book, which you'd have thought would be a bit of a rogue move by God. <laughs> Here's, here's my new biography, and here's all the reasons why you shouldn't believe in me. Is is you, you kind of think, all right, you've got to be pretty self-confident, Lord, if that's the angle you're going with from the off here. So fair play to you, Lord. Um, but it's all there because God's not afraid of it. And people throughout the Bible, throughout history, throughout the church, have always had big questions that they haven't had answers to. And John the Baptist is someone that I want to look at the example of his life and see what we can take from his life, how he handled doubt, and what he went through. So uh, let's start at the beginning of Luke, Luke's gospel. Now at the beginning of Luke, we don't hear about Jesus first. There's a little introduction, but actually then we hear about John the Baptist and his birth being heralded. So his mum and dad, uh, you know, Liz and Zach, uh, mirrored with um, Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. So they're too old to have children, but they've been really faithful, and God says, actually, I'm going to give you a kid. And, uh, and God says to them, basically, your kid is going to herald, be the person that fulfills a long-spoken-about prophecy, that they're going to herald the coming of the Messiah, the one who's going to save us all. And, and probably for a lot of people in that culture at the time, the idea of the Messiah was... Uh, a fighter who is going to come and liberate the Jews from oppression, who is going to overturn the Romans who were ruling at the time uh, and, and save them in that way. And so that's, that's kind of a big, I mean, just starting your life, that's kind of a big, big way to kick things off is, you know, God, prophecy, you're the one who's going to tell everyone about the Messiah. Uh, and then uh, talk about good family genes. Liz's sister turns out to be Jesus's mum, uh, so they're cousins. And so I don't know what the rest of the family got up to, what the other cousins did. But, you know, pretty good start there. And so uh, Mary, Jesus' mother... You know, they get told, her and Joseph get told, he's going to be the saviour of the world. He's going to be the king, and he's going to rule like uh, King David did, who was a king from long ago, who was this amazing model of what it was to be a leader and to follow God. And so, okay, cool, pretty big start. Uh, No pressure on you there, John, or Jesus. And so fast forward um, a whole bunch of years, John's all grown up, bless him, Um, and He's got this amazing ministry. He's got loads and loads of followers, and he's, renewing, uh, he's leading this big renewal movement, and people are coming to faith, and uh, he's baptizing all these people, and he basically goes around. Um, he's a little bit nutty, but we'll give, it, we'll give it him. He walks around the desert for a bit wearing camel clothes and uh, eating locusts and honey, um, but we've all been there, right? It's a phase. You, you go through it. If you're brand new to faith, you, I'm sure you'll go through that phase too. Um, and he goes around saying, um, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so he's, he's really into this stuff. Um, and then basically Jesus turns up on the scene, and John one day is baptizing people in the river, and Jesus comes along, and John baptizes him. And at this point, there's a big light from heaven, a big voice comes down and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, of Jesus. And you're like, okay, this is, this is pretty, you know messianic type vibes we're getting from Jesus right now, and yeah, it looks like John's the one pointing to him, and even it gets to the stage where um, Jesus' followers start to grow as his ministry grows, and so some people, you know, are like, oh, John... Jesus is kind of a big deal now. Oh, yeah, some of your followers are off with him now. But John says, no, um, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world. This guy just, instead of, instead of getting annoyed, he's, his whole life is about pointing to Jesus, about telling everybody else about who Jesus is, the person who has arrived on planet Earth as the Messiah, as the King. And I, I kind of imagine at this point, like, I pro- they probably didn't have BBC News a couple thousand years ago, but he's a six o'clock news. Good evening, I'm Hugh Edwards. and Over to our baptism correspondent, John the Baptist. John, what are the scenes like in the river at the moment? And he'd be like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes, I think we've got some uh, technical issues there (laughs) now. Over to Rome for the chariot racing updates. Uh, And you know, his social media's popping off, all that. and, and, and it's a big deal. So John has not only kind of had uh, his faith and his story put onto him uh, through God and through, I'm assuming, his family who would have told him about this stuff, potentially, um, but he's also invested in it himself. So he's kind of a two-pronged attack of being very involved in his faith, in what he believes, and who he's speaking about, and what he's given his life to. But then, Something happens to John that has happened to a lot of us recently. In that something happens that means he's isolated from his community. Uh, he can't worship communally. He is isolated from um, from from his his friends, the people that encourage him in faith, uh, because he's put in prison. Uh, what happens is uh, it was this. It says this in Luke uh, chapter three when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his, his brother's wife. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, And all the other evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And, talk about lockdown, um, being in prison, but we've kind of been in a similar situation to that. For some of us, the last couple of years have been really bruising to our faith, and this isn't in the Bible, but I, I was thinking as I was preparing this, I wonder what questions might have gone through John's mind at this point. As he sat there in prison, he's probably in there for about 12, 18 months, we reckon, and in the prison of this place called Makarras. I can't remember, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, really upsettingly, Makarras autocorrects to machetes. Um, LAUGHTER and I had a whole thing about, was so, he's in the prison of machetes. Like, I don't know, maybe he's just like stood upright like this, and if he moves, he gets like poked by a machete. But that's not what happened, I'm afraid. It was a much more normal prison, as far as I'm aware. But anyway, he's in this prison, 12 to 18 months, and I wonder what questions went through his head. Have I, have I wasted my life? I, all this that I've done for Jesus, telling everyone about who he is, is this all going to be for Nothing. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Because loads of people have claimed to be the Messiah. Anyone can go around saying some nice stuff. But why does that make him right? I know I've seen all these miracles and heard all these stories, but I don't know, am I misremembering? Uh, I know There's all sorts of social phenomena that can happen when you get big crowds together. I, I don't know. Was any of it right? And um, maybe for us, those are the same questions that we've been having. And actually, I want to say it's really okay to have those questions. And it's one of the reasons that I love God, as I said. And there's three things that I want us to take from John the Baptist's life here and his experience of doubt. Uh, And I think, I hope, I pray are really applicable to us here. So the first one is that it's okay to question God. Um, In fact, it's actually a good thing Because I don't think that um, a certainty-seeking faith is actually a mature faith. Because if I knew all the answers, I would be God. And I don't think that's the point of following God, is to just be God. Sure, we want to be like Him, and we want to seek after wisdom. But we're not going to have all the answers, and so it's okay for us to have big questions. As I said, God's not afraid or angry at us for having big questions, and for John, that's the, the place he finds himself in. And I don't know about you, but for me, uh, when I was growing up, uh, my parents were both Christians, raised in a Christian home. And I think maybe the most important thing, not the most important thing, one of the most important things they ever taught me, was these three magic words, okay, that have gotten me through so many hard times. Now, when I was young, I was a little boy, kind of seven, eight, nine, being tucked into bed, and for some reason, that was always the time when I would have my big questions for mum or for dad. Say, mum, if God really loves everyone, why, why is there all this horrible stuff happening? Mum, if God can do miracles, why don't we see as many miracles as we saw happening all the time in the New Testament? Mum, if this, if that, and sometimes, yeah, they'd have, they'd have answers, sure. But other times, they would pause for a little bit, think it through, usually smile say these three magic words. I don't know. And it's really okay for us to say that. And that's what I think a big part of a maturing faith is being able to accept, oh, yeah, things are really tough, and there are things that I'm annoyed about, but it is okay for me to not know things. We don't have to have a total certainty seeking faith. There are going to be things that we don't know until we see Jesus face to face. But I have had times like that when it seems like faith is totally gone. So for me, when I was in my third year of my undergrad degree, um, I was studying religion and theology at the University of Bristol, and um, I was doing my dissertation on when did a high Christology develop, right? Basic stuff. So basically, at what point did people actually start thinking that Jesus was God, not just a great teacher, or even a messiah, within the bounds of you know someone who would be that soldier or liberator or whatever it is. At what point did people start thinking he was actually God? I wanted to call it, "He's not the messiah; he's a very naughty boy," but my um, supervisor said I wasn't allowed to do that, so that was a shame. <laughs> but uh, big up, Gavin de Costa, though, and John Balsarak, all the department, some real heroes there, um, real heroes of the faith to me, um, and. Uh, so I, I got cracking with that, and it meant getting really, really into uh, particularly the Gospels, uh, the stories of Jesus' life, and I got to a stage where I realized, hang on a minute, I don't, I don't know if I can actually trust this, because things like the historicity and some of the claims, all of a sudden when I looked into it in real detail, weren't adding up. The pieces that I thought fitted together actually were just jamming and square pegs, round holes. And so I had to just deconstruct it. And I got to this point where I realized all my life I'd spoken about, you know, I don't have my parents' faith. I don't believe things because I've been told them or it's how I've been raised. And to a degree, that was true. But that's the point where I realized, actually, to a degree, it's also not true. And I got to a stage where I thought, I can't trust the Gospels anymore. And then that led to, well, I don't think I believe in God anymore. And it was a real scary place for me coming to that point of realizing, yeah, all this thing that I've invested all my life in, I think I might have wasted my time. And at that point, I start to think, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll see what I can do if I can get my faith back. So at that point, I'm kind of, you know, think my, my faith is hobbling, limping along. And so one way that I found um, really helpful at that stage to just begin to walk again in faith, to take little baby steps, um, was to just go back to basics a little bit. So um, I found really helpful these um, axioms by a guy called Science Mike um, as a way to kind of really tiptoe back into faith. And I know, yeah, I might get some people here saying, oh, you know, that's not a high enough Christological value, you don't understand the ontological repercussions of what you're saying by reducing faith to this. Yeah, I know, it's, it's a slightly reductionist approach because sometimes that's what you need when you're in a crisis, okay? So don't, at, well, you can at me if you like, but I'll just at you back uh, in the comments. So, um, so, so this is what I mean by an axiom. So um, we'll get the first one up. So faith, uh, that thing that I was struggling to have is at least, so if, if it's nothing else, faith is a way to contextualize the human need for spirituality and find meaning in the face of mortality. Even if that's all faith is, spiritual practice can be beneficial to cognition, emotional states, and culture. So, okay, well, yeah, I can look into this a bit more, but I'm still not convinced about the God thing. Well, God is at least the natural forces that created and sustained the universe as experienced via a psychosocial model in human brains that naturally emerges from innate biases. Even if... That's a comprehensive definition for God. The pursuit of this personal subjective experience can provide meaning, peace, and empathy for others. Okay, well, you know, the thing that people do to connect with that is, is prayer. Well, prayer is at least, at very least, if nothing else, it's a form of meditation that encourages the development of healthy brain tissues, lower stress, and connect us to God. Even if that's a comprehensive definition of prayer, the health and psychological benefits of prayer justify the discipline. And, and so from that point, that led me to a place where I thought, oh, do you know what? Actually, I think there's probably something behind the universe. I, I don't want to put a name on it. I don't know what it is. It could be some sort of energy force. I don't know, but it makes sense to me and it feels right that there's something. Uh, and that's where we get to the second thing that I want to take from John the Baptist's life, which is to not do your doubt away from Jesus. So bring your doubt do, to him. Um, what John says, actually, we might need to cycle back here slightly, but what John says when he's in prison um, is, I just need the verse, uh, oh, I think we're missing it. Aha, here we go. So, uh, yes, so John's disciples told him about all these things. So Jesus has been out healing and doing miracles whilst um, uh, John is in prison, and John's disciples told him about all these things, Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, at first glance, you're like, okay, sure, reasonable question. But then when I kind of read that again, you're like, ouch. That's, he's really questioning Jesus here. He's really bringing this to Jesus. And like, can you imagine if you walked into a job interview and they said, oh, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? <laughs> like, it's a little bit savage here. And so he brings his doubt to Jesus. He says, all right, you handle this. And he doesn't do it away from Jesus. Um, sorry, could we just and then head back forward then on the note? So this is my bad. I skipped a bit. Sorry, everybody. Big shout to John on the, on, the, uh, on the notes here. Doing a great job. Um, if we could just head forward. make uh, Back one. There we go. Don't do your debt away from Jesus. Thank you very much. Um, and so he brings it to him. So for me... Um, I thought, okay, well, I'll give the Jesus stuff another shot. I'll go back into the scriptures, back into uh, the Gospels. And, you know, flash forward, eventually I did get to a point where I thought, actually, yeah, I I think the Gospels do, you know, do hold up. But at this stage, I'm still tiptoeing in this. And uh, remember, I'm studying religion and theology, so I'm I'm studying quite a lot and in quite depth uh, on a bunch of other faiths. Uh, So I'm not here to bash other faiths, I'm not going to get into the depths of that. I'm here to talk about Jesus, so that's what I'm going to focus on. But as I studied all these other major religions, looked into other ways of thinking about how we can understand the thing called God, whatever it is, or whoever he is, I came to this realization that basically everything boiled down to how good I could be or me getting it right, and me on the judgment day, God weighing my heart and saying, yep, there's enough good in here, or me being good enough so that I get a good rebirth, or I can escape the cycle of life, whatever it is, it all depends on me. And I don't know about you, and you might genuinely think, um, and I don't have a problem with it, you might think, well, do you know what? I think I'd be all right. But for me, I, honestly, I know I've made too many mistakes, I've let far too many people down, uh, I have dishonored God more times than I can remember, and I, I need a savior. And, and when I examined the person of Jesus, what I found was that there was no one in human history who's had the impact on humanity that Jesus has. There's nobody whose life was so significant that we split time in half based around his life and death. Uh, There's nobody in any other religion or no human that can say to me, I love you just as you are. And I've died for you so that you can be with me and be with God. Uh, And it doesn't depend on how good you are. I've died because it depends on how good I am, on who I say I am. That's what Jesus says. And no one else can say that. And so I got to the stage where it was kind of, well, if it's going to be anything, it can only be this thing. And um, <laughs> there's no one like Jesus. We were singing that before. Honestly, I got so emotional as we were singing that. It just honestly reminded me of that whole time. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Jesus. How lovely, how sweet is the name. There's nobody like Jesus. And so what we do with that... And that I'm not saying that all my questions went away. I still had flipping loads of them. Um, But what I did then, and what John does, which is really important, is um, he makes Jesus the king of his doubts. So when we're doubting, we can make Jesus king of your doubts. Now, for me, um, as I said, it doesn't mean that all my questions have gone away. Uh, But it does mean what I've noticed that My questions pile up, but so does my love for Jesus. And I become more and more in love with Jesus the more I learn about him, the more time I spend with him. And when I say make Jesus king of your doubts, it's not to say, well, over to you, Jesus. I don't know. It's, Lord, I'm going to trust you with these questions. I'm handing them over to you. I'm putting you in charge of this. And I'm trusting that you are big enough to handle them. And that's not to say I'm not going to keep on looking for answers and reading and researching and all that. But I can say, Lord, I I trust you're big enough in all of this. And so in John's life, um, this is what happens. Um, If we could skip ahead. So not that reading. Uh, Yes. So sorry. There we go. Um, uh, John has sent this message to Jesus through his disciples um, and said, you know, are you who, who you say you are? Are you really? Um, and this is what uh, Luke's gospel says then. It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, I'm more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you I will tell you among those born of women there is no one greater than John yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven of God is greater than he When John makes Jesus king of his doubt Jesus doesn't give him a 4 hour lecture on why he's right doesn't send him um, a DVD of an apologetics series He gives him some encouragement He says, here's some evidence, yes. Here's what you have seen is right. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. He gives him something to consider, and he encourages him. And what I love is that then when John's disciples are gone, so behind his back, Jesus is saying, yet um, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. The guy who has, let's be frank about this, Publicly questioned Jesus. So, if you imagine um, the disciples are bringing this back to Jesus, but I, I don't know. Maybe um, this is word's getting out. Have you heard John the Baptist, the guy who was bigging up Jesus? That you know, the guy who was on the six o'clock news with Hugh Edwards, shouting, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world." The guy who went through the wilderness wearing crazy clothes, eating locusts and eating honey. The guy who gave everything to tell people about Jesus. He's questioning Jesus. He's asking if Jesus is really the one he says he is. John the ba- John the Baptist said that. Oh my gosh, that must be humiliating for Jesus. Jesus must be horrified that like his main man is beefing him in public. So you'd kind of expect well, you know, sometimes, yeah, people go through hard times and they, they go a bit crazy. And, you know, John obviously just, like, he's off his rocker. Uh, John's just had a hard time, you know. Just, just, just don't tell anyone what John said. All right, all right, all right. And, but here's my new favorite disciple over here. Oh, Now, new disciple, you, you've never had any doubts, have you? Oh, no, Jesus. Oh, no, no. I'm 100% sure of my faith every single second of every day. Wow. And that's what you should all be like. is not what Jesus says. He says the guy who has given his all but still has some struggles and some questions and some doubts, yeah, he's the guy. There's no one greater than John. And as I've said over and over, that's what I love about God. He is big enough to handle my biggest questions. And ultimately, the real heroes of the faith aren't the people who've done incredible things and had crazy high levels of faith at all times. It's the people who've persevered. Hebrews 11 talks about that, the heroes of the faith. It's the people who've had hard times and kept on going. And uh, I've been reading a book about King David recently by a guy called Eugene Peterson, uh, who was the person who, they said, you know, Jesus is going to be a king like King David. And, you know, sometimes for me personally, I, I, I feel like, I'm not someone who has a ton of supernatural experiences. Uh, I'm not someone who sees a lot of those signs. You know, I I have friends who do, who will way more regularly kind of, oh, I really felt God's spirit through this or that. And sometimes I, I get doubts and I think, well, really? I don't know. But one of the things I love about that is that King David who's held up as this, this poster boy of what it's like to follow God, this flawed, messy leader who loved God. Um, Eugene Peterson says, in his whole life, obviously he receives words from God and things like that, but there's no, there's no kind of really obvious miracles in his life. Uh, but he's still held up as this poster boy of, of what it's like to follow God. Uh, that Actually, because our faith doesn't depend necessarily on what God does for us, Uh, It doesn't have to depend on my circumstances. Faith depends on who Jesus is. Faith says that if Jesus has died on the cross and risen again for me, then that's enough. And I'm going to limp and hobble through my faith life, but I know that Jesus is on my side. And I'll be honest, guys. You know, I've spoken about how I really struggle with doubt in my life. And I can honestly say to you, I've still got all those questions, but I've never been more convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I can stand here and with my hand on my heart, tell you all, I've been through those depths of doubt, and I can say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I've never been more convinced that he is the king that we need. He's the savior that we need. I look at the news, and it does nothing to give me any doubt that Jesus is the one we need. That he's the one we want to make king of our doubts. So for you this evening, maybe it's that you just need a little bit of encouragement to say, hey, if you've got some questions, it's all right. You can talk them through with people. You can talk them through with God. You can hand them over to Jesus. Don't do them away from him. Don't hide away. Don't feel like you can't bring that to God. But make him king of your doubts. Say, Lord, these are yours. I'm still going to do my research, I'm still going to read, I'm still going to think, I'm not switching my brain off, but I'm saying, Lord, I know you're big enough to handle these. For other, others of us, it might be that you're going through a really serious crisis of faith for the last couple of years of pandemic have, have really rocked your faith, that you're in that place like I was of, I don't, I don't know if I even believe in God at all anymore, I don't know if I can. And I want to encourage you, do talk to people about it. Uh, it's okay to kind of go back to basics a bit with your faith, like I did to take little tiny baby steps, one step at a time, and ask Jesus, hey, can you, can you carry the weight of this for me? Can you be king of these doubts? So what I want to do now is just pray um, and ask God's Holy Spirit to fill us all. And I really believe that for whether in, in either of those camps or somewhere in between or kind of, you're not struggling with doubt right now, but it's helpful to know, or whatever you are, Maybe you're brand new uh, as a Christian. You're a totally new uh, Christian over the last few weeks. Um, Welcome to the family. And actually, I hope this is good preparation for you because all of us, uh, as a part of the life of faith, will struggle with doubt at some time. Uh, But wherever we're at, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us, um, fill us with faith. And for me, at times in my life, um, like I kind of mentioned, there have been times when I've been um, really filled with the Holy Spirit and felt it as a tangible thing and felt, wow, it feels like the Holy Spirit's doing stuff through me. There have been other times where people have prayed with me and it, I kind of felt, well, sure, fine. Um, but then later on, I've gone on to realize, wow, actually, God really did stuff through me. So I want to encourage um, us to pray together. We're going to have um, a whole bunch of people over on my left, your right, um, who would love to pray with you. All they're going to do is just ask to put a hand on your shoulder or your arm they're just going to ask God to be king of your doubts, just to do his thing. You know, us talking at you isn't going to do anything magic. It's God um, that does the work. So um, would you stand with me, and if the band want to come back up. Um, And if anyone who's up for praying, uh, who's on our prayer team or a a uh, uh, small group, a hub leader or anything like that, um, do head over and just be ready. And I just really want to encourage you, do be brave. Um, one of the things I hear from people sometimes is, oh, church is nice, but sometimes it feels like you've got to put a face on and, you know, you can't be real about what you're going through. Um, and if, if you kind of feel like that and you're struggling with doubt, then what we need is to have people who are going to step forward and go, yeah, I'd love some prayer for that. I'd really value some help. So really encourage us all, we are a family. Um, And so we treat each other like family and we care for each other. Just like God doesn't judge us for our doubt, um, nobody here is going to do that for you either. So I'm going to ask for God's spirit to fall. We're just going to wait in the quiet for a minute, uh, then we'll worship. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I just ask that um, in each of us now, you be encouraging us and filling us with faith. Lord, where there's kind of fear and doubt, I just ask that you begin to kind of thaw that ice. Lord, I just ask that you be encouraging people, filling us with faith. Lord, I I thank you that the church is a family and that we can be real with one another. Holy Spirit, I invite you now, and we're just going to wait for you in, in the quiet for a moment. Let's just wait.